Hi, my name is Alonzo, and I'm an alcoholic. And uh, first and foremost, I want to thank God for allowing me to be here. Second, I want to thank Paige for asking me to, to come out and share my experience, strength, and hope to anyone that's new to the program or if you be old to the program to let you know that this program does work. And I'm not one to come before you and talk about what it was like, what it was like, what it was like, what it was like, because like, I found out talking about what it was like, the only thing that made me want to do is drink and use in ways I've yet to try. But what I did come to carry was a message of hope because I believe for hopeless peoples, we need hope and the hope is that you too can recover from alcoholism or drug addiction or whatever your problem may be. In the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, they say we're sure that our way of living has its advantages for all y'all. And I say that based on the strength that, you know, the big book say with sufficient enough reason, you know, I know some peoples that came to the rooms the same time I did. My sobriety birthday is March 14th, 1989. And with that, I am truly grateful. But when I came to the room, March 14th, 1989, I remember being in a sober living home. And I remember this guy coming in. He said, Alonzo, I'm only here for two weeks because my wife told me that if I didn't go to a sober living home that she was going to divorce me, she was going to take the kids and I would never see them again. He stayed in that sober living home for two weeks. And after that two weeks, he went back home to his wife. He never showed back up for meetings and stuff, but he didn't get drunk no more. With sufficient enough reason, he was able to stop. I know a female that came to the meetings. And when she came to the meeting, she had, had, a, she had got a DUI. And she had her kid in the car with her and everything. And so what happened is that CPS took her kids from her. And when they took her kids, they told her, you need to go to a program for 90 days and you need to go to AA meetings in order for you to get your kids back. And so what happened is that she went to a program and she went to meetings for 90 days. And then after that, she got her kids back. She never showed back up for the meetings no more with sufficient enough reason. I like to tell y'all that was my story, but that's just not my story. See, with sufficient enough reason, I'm that one that I can't stop, you know, with sufficient enough reason, people's pleading and pleading. You know, I remember my mom telling me one time, Lonzo, look at what you're doing yourself. Why don't you go get help? And I need to let y'all know, I looked at her and I was like, mom, I don't need help, you need help. Why don't you go get help? See, with sufficient enough reason, some people can stop, but I can't stop, I'm the real one. I'm the one that the big book talks about that, you know, the only message that can interest me must have depth and weight. I'm that one that the big book say that that message must go deep down inside where I live at. Because if it don't wake me up, shake me up, stand me up and clean me up, guess what? I'm not going to get help. You know, because for the simple fact is that once I take a drink, man, it's on. You know, and every time, you know, let my wife tell me some stuff about if you come home loaded one more time, I'm going to leave you. And I'm saying to myself, well, she's going to leave me because I know I can't pull it off. You know, I'm that real, I'm the real deal Holyfield. You know, and, um, you know, like I say, uh, and I want to thank Mike for opening up 10 minutes, such short notice, you know, and uh, one day I was just sitting back and I was looking at Facebook and I didn't know I was speaking at this meeting until I saw the flyer, <laughs> you know, but um, one of the things that was revealed to me when I first came in, if I stay ready, I never have to get ready. You know, and a uh, good thing that this wasn't last week, Paige, is because I got a root canal last weekend, you know, my whole mouth been just throbbing, you know, and I said to myself, I said, God, you got jokes, you know, because he waited until this week around, you know, and, and you know, and I like to welcome everyone that's new or if you be old to the rooms, 
to let you know that this program works. You know, and uh, basically there's some people sitting out here now, they have some sobriety and they think that they got it going on. But I need to let you know, the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous said any man, any woman that think that sobriety is enough is not a thinking person. I don't want to just have sobriety around here. You can have sobriety and go out of your mind. You know, I know people with sobriety is catching cases and stuff, you know, but the thing is that it don't mean nothing to you till it means something to you. Now, I remember when I first came around here, man, and I was, had been sober for a little while. And see, what I'm sharing, I'm sharing my experience. I was sober for a little while. And I remember going to those meetings and stuff. And I remember going to the meeting. I'd be sitting back up in the meeting. And you know what? I was too chicken to raise my hand up to go up there and share. And I remember all of y'all going up to the podium saying, hi, my name Joe Blow, and I'm an alcoholic. And if you want what I got you, keep coming back. You know, and I'm sitting back and, you know, and I wanted to get up there and say something, but I was too afraid. The big book of Alcoholics Anonymous said you cannot transmit something you don't have. And the thing is, is that, you know what? I showed up for that meeting every day and I was too chicken to raise my hand up. I would hear y'all every day. You know, great life is great. And if you want what I got, you'll keep coming back. And I remember one day I showed up for the meeting and stuff and I was sitting back and all of a sudden my hand went up. And right before I could pull it down, the leader called on me. <laughs> and when he called on me, you know what? I had been coming to the meeting every day. And I, you know what? And he told me that if I go up there and I do what you guys do, and if I say what y'all say, everything will be all right. Because you cannot transmit something you don't have. So what happened is that I went to the podium, and, uh, you know, and I was walking up, and I was scared. And I remember when I walked up, and I went to the podium, I looked out at all y'all, and I said, hi, my name is Alonzo, and I'm an alcoholic. And if you want what I got, you'll keep coming back. Paige, I need to let you know that the experiment went off so well. So when I went back and I sat in my seat and I said, man, I can't wait to go back the next day so I can tell them some stuff, you know. And see, it don't mean nothing to you till it means something to you. So that next day, I couldn't wait to go to the meeting and stuff. And I raised my hand up and they called me up and I strolled to the front and I said, hi, my name is Alonzo and I'm an alcoholic. And, you know, and I got a Jerry Curl today. And if you want what I got, you'll keep coming back. You know, and then I just strolled back and I went to sit down, you know. And as I was sitting back and, you know, and I say, well, tomorrow is another day. And I can't wait to go back to tomorrow, you know. But see, it don't mean nothing to you till it means something to you. And I remember going back to that meeting the next day, man. And you know what? I, by this time, I got comfortable because I have sobriety now. Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous say that any man that has sobriety is not a thinking man. You know, so I'm sitting up there, man, and then I go to the podium again, and it was this brother sitting up front, you know, and he, like, looked at me, and he was like, I know this brother getting ready to break me off some recovery, AJ, you know, and he's just looking. And so what happened is that I walked up to the podium, and he looked at me like he was waiting on me to say something, but you cannot transmit something you don't have. So I went to the podium, Mike, and I say, my name is Alonzo, and I'm an alcoholic. You know, the day was great. I'm going back and redo my Jerry Carroll. The job is good. If you want what I got, you'll keep coming back. You know, and I looked at that brother. He dropped his head. And I need to let you know, Lynn, he dropped his head. And when he dropped his head, you know what? I felt so bad. So when I went back to the back, man, I was sitting back here. You know what? Now I'm restless, irritable, discontent. Because I'm sitting back here. You know what? See, I said that it don't mean nothing to you till it means something to you. So when I went back and I sat back and I was like, man, I'm not going to that podium no more. You know, because see, you know what? When I went to that podium, 
And now I understand because the books say that the message that can enter the real alcoholic must have definitely weight. So whenever a person go to the podium and they just sharing that garbage, basically what they're doing, they just killing newcomers. And so and I went back and I was sitting back and I said, you know what? I'm not going to show up next week. But Paige, I do what I always do when my back is up against the wall. You know what I'm saying? So they had a sober softball team. And so what I did, I joined this sober softball team. And you know what? And I and every Sunday, I went to play sober softball with a gang of guys, about 12 other guys on the softball team. And the only time we went to the meeting is when we won. And we didn't win that often. <laughs> and I remember, you know, being out there just restless, irritable, discontent. And I need to let y'all know God have always did for me what I couldn't do for myself. So we was out there on the softball field one day. And all of a sudden, Tony, a ball got hit to me, and I went to catch the ball, and I missed the ball. And all of a sudden, my teammate, he just started hollering, hey, what are you doing? You're missing the ball, this and this. So y'all know what's going on now, right, Carrie? Now what's going on now, my pride, my ego, what people think about me. I'm a brother. I'm supposed to be good at sports and stuff. You know, all of this is going on now, you know. And so we finally get three outs, and I go back up in the dugout. And so this guy says something. I grabbed the baseball bat, and I started chasing him. I'm talking about dead cold sober sobriety, y'all. Restless, irritable, discontent. And I'm chasing this guy with this baseball bat. And all of a sudden, the bridge of reason say, Lonzo, hey, hey, what are you doing? What are you doing? And then all of a sudden, I just stopped. And so I walked back to the dugout. And when I went back to the dugout, and I'm sitting back, and all my teammates, they say, Lonzo, you need a meeting. I said, shut up. Y'all need a meeting. Just restless, irritable, discontent. And I'm sitting back, man, and it, and it just eat me away. And all of a sudden, I just grabbed my bag and my balls and stuff. And I said, I'm getting out of here. I'll show them next week. Next week, I won't show up for a meeting for this, for this game. Like they really needed me. And so what happened is that I ended up going to a, a meeting in Santa Ana at uh, Bristol Hospital. And that was the first time I go to this meeting. And I got, I'm so resentful. And I'm sitting up there and I'm thinking about this sober softball team. And I'm like, I hope they lose today. And I'm thinking all bad things. And then all of a sudden, the speaker walks in, and this guy, he had a, a white shirt on and a ponytail, you know, and I looked at him, and he looked just like the guy when I was out there, my disease, that sucker punched me when I was out there, and I was drinking and using it, he made me buy his drugs and stuff, and I looked at him, and I carried the resentment all the way into recovery, and I looked at him, and I say, that's him, I'm going to get him after the meeting, I said, that's him, I'm going to get him, I'm going to get him, I'm going to get him. And I need to let y'all know, I'm sitting back, just resting in but discontent. I am no longer resentful at the sober softball team. And I'm sitting back and I need to let y'all know that this brother went up to this podium and he said, hi, my name's so-and-so and I'm an alcoholic. And that was the first time I heard the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous come alive. And he started breaking that big book down and I'm sitting back and you know what? And all of a sudden, you know, I was no longer resentment at nobody. But I'm listening to him. When the meeting was over, I bum rushed him. And I said, man, will you take me through the work? And I need to let y'all know, um, I would never hit another softball on another Sunday. And what I did, I went out to South Central and I got in the process of recovery. I did MJB. And I brought the process of recovery back to Orange County. And I went out there every Sunday. And I never forget, I went to that sponsor of mine that was sponsoring me at the time, the one that told me to call him 100 times a day. You know, and I went back to him. I said, hey, why didn't you tell me all of this? And then he looked at me and, you know, and I realized that he did the best he could with what he had. 
You know, and I went out there and I got into the work, man. And what I found out is that going through the work with this, I want to ask this guy to go take me through the work. One of the things that he told me, he said, you know what? Why do you want me to take you to work? Take you through the work. He said, I'm not taking you through the work so that, you know, I can borrow money from you or you can uh, borrow money from me or tell you how to run your life. He said, my job is just to take you through the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous along with the 12 steps. And that's it. And we started going through this work, man. It started blowing me away. Risha, it started blowing me away because I found out that I have a disease that I suffer from alcoholism, which is a disease of a threefold nature, which affects me mentally, spiritually, and bodily. See, if you're just going to meetings alone, meetings alone will not keep you sober. You can go to 90 meetings in 90 days and still get loaded because meetings does not keep you sober. You know, what keeps me sober is the relationship with the power that I have in the work that I do around this program. You know, and so when I started going through it, what happened is that you know, finding out that I had a disease of a threefold nature and the way that I treat this as a disease, I treat it with the circle and the triangle that represents the program. You have unity, you have service, and you have recovery. And in the unity is where I take, unity is where I take the physical part of my body. Where do I take the physical part of my body? Well, let me see, Lauren. I take the physical part of my body to the AA meetings, to the AA picnics, to the AA conventions, just like what we're doing right now. We're sitting on, in an AA meeting on Zoom. Nobody's passing no pipes, alcohol, joints, or none of that. Right about now, we all have a strong desire not to take another drink. I've had many of strong desire. I need to let y'all know, Carrie, a strong desire has never been enough to keep me sober. You know, so basically what that's showing me is that the only thing that I'm doing, I'm only treating one third of a three-part program. That's why when I went to the meeting the first time, I was resting zero but discontent because I was just looking for the meetings to keep me sober. And what I found out is that the meetings alone would not keep me sober. So basically what they were showing me is that I was only working one third. Then you have the service part, which sits in the upper right-hand corner of that triangle. You have minimum service, you have maximum service. Minimum service, when I go to the meetings and I see the secretary like Laura, the chip person, the greeter, the coffee person, and so on and so on, people that sit up the meeting, people that help take down the meeting. And one of the things that was so important to me is that this guy that took me through the work, he told me, he said, Lonzo, you need to get a commitment. You need to feel a part of Alcoholics Anonymous because if you don't feel a part of Alcoholics Anonymous, guess what? You probably won't stay around Alcoholics Anonymous. And so, so he told me, he said, I want you to go to the meetings. You can get the coffee commitment. You can get the chip commitment. He said, you can get the, but don't get the treasury commitment. <laughs> and I didn't know what he meant, but I, as I stayed around, I watched people take out with the money. I was like, oh, okay. And I need to let y'all know, I remember going to the meetings. I remember getting that coffee commitment. You know what? And I got that coffee commitment and I felt good. I remember showing up a half hour every day and I would make that coffee. I would clean off the counter. And I remember the first guy when he strolled over and he poured him a cup of coffee and he took him a drink and he went, ah, and I stuck my chest. Out. I said, yeah, I did that. Because for once in my life, I was feeling useful, not useless. Before I came to Alcoholics Anonymous, I had been feeling useless all my life, man. You know, it was back, it was then that I was able to find to be a use for something. So when I got that coffee commitment, man, you know what? That just blew me away. You know, and then you got the maximum service. They're talking about the ex-problem drinker, the ex-problem liar, the ex-problem convict, the ex-problem person who's just as hopeless and chronic as all of us. And we call that person a sponsor. A sponsor job is only to take me through the book. Like that sponsor told me when I first got here, he said, man, my job is just to take you through the book. It's not to tell you how to run your life, live your life, or nothing like that, you know, and that's what I found out with this sponsor. 
you know, and we got busy going through the work, you know, and uh, they talk about the sponsor on page 18, you know, the person who's probably on with some facts that can win the general entire confidence of another alcoholic. Then you have the recovery part, which is at the bottom of that triangle, the base, the foundation. And that's why I take this thing right here, because this is what gets me in trouble, y'all. You know, and I say that this is what gets me in trouble because you know what? I get sober and I make a sober decision to go take another drink. I don't know too many people that make a loaded decision. Everybody I know make a sober decision to go take another drink. And normally that sober decision is based off a lie. It's never based off the truth. You know what the lie is? It won't hurt me this time. Won't nobody know. But let me take a drink. Everybody's going to know. So where I take this thing right here, I take it through the first 164 pages of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. But I can't forget about the other eight pages of doctor's opinion. Had it not been for the doctor's opinion, I wouldn't know why I suffer from the things that I suffer from. The peculiar mental twist. I like to take the lie and twist it into the truth. Why? So that I can feel good. You know, let me illustrate. Before I come into the rooms and stuff, it's all about me, Nancy, looking good, feeling good all the time. And I would go to any limb to look good, feel good. Let me illustrate. In relationships, it's all right for me to cheat, but she better not cheat. Because the minute she cheat, all right, Houston, we have a problem. You know, it's all about what can you give me? You know, in my own self-centered way, I think the most important thing is the way that I feel. I want people's places and institutions to change. Why? So that I can feel good. It's always about me, you know, and I will go to any length. But today, man, I go through this work and I don't have to worry about changing people's places and things. If I go through this work, the only somebody that needs to be changed or business is me, you know, because I'm the one that's got to live this life that the book talks about. You know, this program is so awesome. And, you know, I like Bill's story because Bill's story is put in the front of the book and it comes with a whole lot of uh, similarities and a whole lot of question marks. And the question mark that it asked me, it said, Alonzo, did you drink like Bill? Did you act like Bill? Did you think like Bill? I sure did. And I did a whole lot of other stuff that Bill didn't do. I drank and smoked dope and everything else, you know? And so, you know, the big book alcohol is anonymous. say we share in a general way what I used to be like, what happened and what I'm like now. You know, I need to qualify just a little. And what I used, you know, what it used to be like, I'm from Cleveland, Ohio. I moved to California back in 85. But I didn't move to California to, get, to go through no program to get an AA or nothing like that. You know, I remember coming to California on a vacation. And on this vacation, man, and you know what? It was started out a two weeks vacation. And the next thing I knew, I didn't see half of California. I remember telling my sister, I said, man, is the weather like this year round? She said, yeah. I said, boy, I got to have some of this. We went to one of the most chronic beach beaches in California. We went to Venus Beach. <laughs> And that's who was going out. And I was sitting back and I was like, wow. And I remember calling that job that I had back in Cleveland. And I remember telling my supervisor, I said, you know what? We got an emergency in the family and I need to take another couple of weeks. He said, go ahead. You know, and I need to let y'all know. I put an application in and, uh, you know, and finally the vacation was over. I went back to Cleveland and, you know, my sister worked at this company. So I pretty much got the job when I put the application in. And so when I went back to Cleveland, they called me long distance. They told me, they said, you got the job. When can you come? And I said, well, I need to get my job a two weeks notice. And uh, they say, well, whenever you get here, just call us. And I need to let y'all know, uh, you know, when, before I got ready to leave, you know, all my friends and my brothers and all of them, they came and they threw me a party the night before. And I remember getting this brother. We was like brothers. We went through high school together. And he had told me, he said, Alonzo, I go up there and help you drive. He say, if you fly me back, I say, it's on. So basically we loaded up the U-Haul truck. 
I had this Park Avenue that I love, y'all. That Park Avenue was my God. You know, it would be below, below outside, and I'd be outside Washington getting ready to go out. And then when I get ready to get in, the doors be froze and everything. So what happened is that they threw me a going away party. When I got ready to leave the next day, my brother Jim and all of them, you know, they had uh, gave me liquor and they had put a sign on the back of this, in the, in the uh, windshield of this Park Avenue. And this sign say, go on west. And on this Park Avenue, when we got the U-Haul truck, I had a friend that loaded it up on the U-Haul truck. I didn't know anything about it. So as we was driving, AJ, and we was getting ready to leave, we said goodbye to everybody. And I, you know, we was driving. And uh, we was listening to Luther Vandross and Anita Baker. And I remember alcohol had snuck up on me and I was sitting back and I said, man, I can't wait to get to California. Because when I get to California, I'm going to become a star. <laughs> I didn't know I was going to become, I didn't know I was going to come to California and become rock stars and everything else. <laughs> and so what happened is that we took off. And uh, as we was driving and, you know, and it seemed like we was driving for days. And I had to saw a sign that say California, nothing like that. And so what happened is that uh, we had started running out of alcohol. We had started running out of liquor and all that. And I remember telling my buddy, I said, you know what? Let's pull over. Let's get off at the next ramp and let's go get some alcohol. And uh, I need to tell y'all, there's a big difference in a country mile and a city mile. We got off of that interstate. And when we got off of that interstate, we drove back in the woods. Like, and when we pulled up, there was a, there was a bar called Do Drop In. In front of that bar was a, was a, a gang of... Harley Davidson motorcycles. And when we was walking in, the music was loud. It seemed like when we opened up the door, everything stopped. <laughs> and we walked in. I tell my buddy Glenn, I said, don't worry, I got this. And so what happened, we walked in and, you know, everybody looked around and they went on doing what they was doing. And we, we proceeded to the bar. And when we got to the bar, we were setting up. And I need to let y'all know this bartender was real cool. He said, where you boys going? He said, where you boys from? I said, we're from Cleveland, moving to California. He said, y'all got a long way to go. And it was this chick sitting next to me and she looked at me and she said, you know what? You look just like Eddie Murphy. <laughs> and I looked at her and I went, because <laughs> I got to set the stage, AJ. I got to set the stage. So we were setting up in there and all of a sudden we were talking and stuff like that. And, you know, and so, um, so the bartender, he gave us some alcohol. He sold us some weed and he told us, he said, when y'all leave here, you go straight to the hotel, but they may not go straight to the interstate because they may not be as friendly on further back. But I need to let y'all know, I didn't know what a phenomenal craving was back then. But you know what? If I had took a hit off the pipe, it could have been the Ku Klux Klan back there. And you know what? They told me they had cocaine and alcohol back there. I would have went back there. I would have been back at the Ku Klux Klan with a sheet over my head saying, yeah, where they at? Give me another hit. <laughs> You know, and so what happened is that uh, we left there and we went back to the interstate. And when we got back to the interstate, you know, and I'm sitting up and I, I kind of drifted off and I woke up to my buddy, the U-Haul rocking, and he had ran off the interstate. And I need to let y'all know God have always did for us what we couldn't do, what God have always did for me, what I couldn't do for myself. We ran, he ran that truck off of that interstate and it was a gang of truckers passing by. They stopped, they took that car off of that uh, truck they got a chain, they pulled us out of that ditch like, and one of the truckers told me, he said, man, you know, you guys are really, really lucky. He said, cause this interstate is normally full of troopers. And so what happened is that he said, now, when you guys, I want you guys to go further down and I want you to stop at the rest there. I said, don't worry, we will. So we get back up in the truck and we driving, Troy, we driving. And then all of a sudden we get by the rest there. My buddy said, you want me to pull over? I said, no, keep going. And so, about this time, we running out of alcohol and stuff like that again. And 
And so we see this sign, we had to get gas and everything. So as my buddy was pulling up, he ran through the stop sign. And then all of a sudden we heard something go whoop. And I looked back, it was a state trooper. And I tell my buddy, I said, don't worry, I got this, you know. And as that state trooper walked up to the car and he, uh, to the U-Haul and he asked my buddy, he said, license and registration. My buddy said, I don't have any. And then, so I said, excuse me, officer, what did we do? He said, well, you ran through that stop sign. I said, well, you see, officer, this is what happened. As we was approaching the stop sign, that car on the back pushed us right through it. And he looked at me and he shook his head. He said, I never heard that one before. And then he said, I know you have license. And I said, well, you see, officer, this is what happened. They threw us a party before we was leaving. And this girl that lived in Akron, Ohio, she took my driver's license so he could get, so she could make it back over to my apartment. And he looked at us and he said, you know what? You guys go ahead and get some gas. I don't want to see this U-Haul in my county when the sun go down. I said, you won't. We got that gas and we proceeded to drive to California. It seemed like we was driving forever. And then all of a sudden, we uh, make it to California. And then we make it, when we made it, well, let me back up just a little. My buddy said, you know what? I got a cousin that live in the Valley. And uh, we can go there and get a job and, you know, and, I, and I'm going to stay here with you. You know, and I thought about that and I said, God, I won't have to fly him back now because I told y'all I'm selfish. I said, I won't have to fly him back. I can keep this money. And so what happened, we made it to California, put all my stuff in storage, took the U-Haul back. And um, I didn't call that job until like about two weeks later. And um, from that point on, we was running and gunning in California, running to the valley. My cousin, his, um, I mean, my um, buddy that drove up here with me, his cousin lived in the valley. He had a had a uh, estate right down the street from Michael Jackson. We went up there and his cousin was telling, he said, little homie, I'm from Cleveland. He said, you know what? I've been here for five years and y'all can get over, you know? And so what he did, you know, he gave us a whole lot of stuff and he said, now just go out there and sell it. You know, and what happened? We was drinking and trying to sell something and we ended up by the Bloods and the Crips and they ran us out of there. I knew then, AJ, that, you know, I would never be anything in California that come down with selling drugs or, or having anything to do with drugs and alcohol, period. And so what happened is that we ran into her. Y'all know who her is. Her is the one that be standing outside. She said, you know what? I will help y'all with anything that you got. Give me a drink and give me a hit. And we gave her a drink and she said, huh, give me another. I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. We need to go ahead and do this. And so what happened, she took my, my buddy into this, this uh, hotel, motel in Greenleaf. And he come running out, bloods running behind him. He jumped in the car and we took off. We went straight to the motel. We drank, we smoked, we drank, we smoked. And then from that point on, now it's time for me to go to work. And I need to let y'all know, from that point on, I don't know where my buddy, you know, he moved back to Cleveland. And, you know, I know just a year ago, and I heard that um, he had passed away. And I didn't get a chance to make amends to him or anything like that. Cause we got separated. I went, started that job out there with my sister and stuff. And, um, you know, but I had crossed over that invisible line the big book talks about. I had crossed over so far, you know, and it's, it's like that little lady that I'm falling and I can't get up, but that's the way I was. I had fell so far to all of a sudden, you know, alcohol was the only way that I knew. Every day I drank to live, live to drink. And I went to that job and I was drinking and drinking and, you know, I had one of the easiest job position on that job. And one day I went in and I fell asleep. And when I fell asleep, 
I heard this manager, my supervisor, knocking on the door. Let me back up a little. Um, I went back to, um, after I lost my buddy and stuff, I went and lived with my sister for a minute. And, she, and then I started working at her job. And then I left her place and I went to Azusa, California. And when I went to Azusa, I was sitting back there and I said, you know what? You know, this is where I'm gonna be at. But the thing is that I had crossed over so far. So when I went to work, man, I was only going to work so that I can continue drinking and getting loaded and drinking. One day I showed up, the supervisor at the job was the one that got me an apartment uh, in that complex. So I show up at work one day and I'm all drunk and stuff and, and I hear a knock on the door. He said, you still got a job till you get up. You know, alcoholics, we like drumming. So what happened is that, you know, I got up and I walked out and he said, go home. And I looked at him, I said, hey, what, 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 what's up? He said, go home. I said, I'm not going to work. He said, you fired. And then I said, you can't fire me. He said, why not? I said, cause I quit. And I left that job and, you know, then I went home and, you know, and I'm sitting back and all of a sudden the next day I called the plant manager and he said, yeah, I heard y'all act a fool last night. And I said, you know, man, Jesse was tripping. And so he said, I'm going to ask everybody what happened. And he went around and I called back in like about five minutes. He said, we don't want you on the property no more. He said, anything that you have, we would send it to you. And so what happened is that uh, it seemed like the next day I got that check and I went on a bench. I went on a serious bench, you know, and I remember on the, the apartment complex. And I remember having a new uh, manager over that complex. And she told me, she said, I heard you got fired last night. I said, I didn't get fired. No, no, they just laid me off for a minute. And I need to let y'all know that I paid rent one time in that place. I paid, I paid the first month rent and I paid a security deposit and I never paid rent no more. And you know what? And today I run Sober Living House, but that's another story. <laughs> You know, and, and, and I see when people come to the sober living house, they get off on me and I can't say nothing. So, but anyway, um, I'm sitting back and all of a sudden I leave, I go back to Compton and I come back again. I see my lamps and everything in the driveway. And I say, wow, they look like my lamp. And I went to stick my key in the door, Mike, and it just wasn't working. But I do what I always do. My back is up against the wall, AJ. I call my, I call my sister, my enabler. And so what happened is that I called her and she came out and um, she picked me up and she said, man, look at your car. This car that I love, this car was my God when I was in Cleveland. Both fender was hanging out like this. All the window was broke out. I had three donuts and one good tire on the car. You know, because see, I've told you I'm the real deal. When I take a drink and I get drunk, all bets are off. I'm out there making movies and stuff. And so what happened, she picked me up and we was driving down the 605 freeway. She looked at me, she said, June, I know what's wrong. You need Jesus. And I looked at her and I said, you know what, Lynn, I'm gonna really get myself together. And I really meant that y'all with every fiber in my body. So what happened, we went back to her house in Long Beach. And so as we was going in and uh, there was across the street, there was a church that she go to. The name of that church is New Beginnings. I will get in that later on. And so, when we was there, she said, come on, we're going to church. And so we ended up going to church and I need to let y'all know that whole hour and a half that I was in church, church just wasn't working. I'm not saying that church don't work, but the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous said that we're people that all other methods have failed. I'm sitting up in church and all of a sudden I'm looking at the choir and my head said, if I could just get with one of these sisters in the choir and now I can move out from my sister house because now I'm looking for a victim. And so I'm sitting up and, you know, 
And then the preacher come in, he got a Jerry Carroll, he got a gold cross. He looked like the guy I was, I was partying with the night before. And then all of a sudden, you know, the choir is singing, my sister's hollering, whoop, I got him. But I need to let y'all know that just wasn't happening to me. I set up in church for a whole hour and a half. The basket started coming around. When it got to me, every eyes in the church looked at me and I passed it on. And so when the church was over, we left church out and I left church and, and shortly after I got loaded. I remember going back to my sister's house and uh, you know, and uh, I saw her putting money under her mattress and stuff like that. So what I did, you know, right about now, I really needed a drink now because I've been sitting up in church all this time and you know, and so what happened, I went on her mattress, and I grabbed a whole lot of, I just grabbed a handful of money. And as I was walking out and I was walking down the street, all of a sudden my disease said, what you got? And I looked at my hand and I had like about $50 in there. My disease said, man, you are so crazy. This is not enough for us to drink and, and party with. And so what happened, I went straight to the Greenleaf Motel. That $50 went real quick. I need to let y'all know, I went back to that apartment again. I stuck my hand under that mattress again. I grabbed some more money. My hand said, man, now you can, my head said, now you can become a dope dealer. Remember I told y'all early that uh, I tried that and I knew then I would never be able to do anything like that in, in California. So I went back up and um, I drank up all that money. I went back, this time when I went back, she was walking around looking for it. And I need to let y'all know I have to look for it. And I said, I know you had it on there. And so she turned her back. I went on again, another quick one. I took off again. Then when I came back again, she said, I want you out of my house. She said, don't you tell nobody that you are my brother. I want you out of here. Mike, I do what I always do with my back is against the wall. I call another enabler, my other sister. And I call my sister. I, I go, May, you know, Lynn is really tripping. These guys are just messing with her head and this and that. And so my sister say, don't worry, I'm coming to get you. And so I was sitting back and, and as we was riding, she say, man, you're the talk of the town. She said, your life, of what I said, I know, mate, I'm going to get it together. Carrie, I meant it with every fiber in my body. I say, this, I'm going to get me a good job. I'm going to get me another car. And I'm going to get it together. And I really meant it. And the day came when she told me, she said, well, I did good for about one day. And she told me, she said, I want you to take uh, me to work. And I want you to uh, take the kids to eat and watch them to the park. And I need to let y'all know, I took her to work. I wasn't thinking about drinking or nothing like that. But I got a disease that centers in my thinking and stuff. The minute that, that that ATM card hit my hand, I went to the bank and I stuck it up in the machine. And then all of a sudden, you know, the thought hit me is to take out about $60. I took out $60. I went and I got alcohol and I was hanging out at the motel again. And all of a sudden, my little nieces and nephews, they was blowing the horn and stuff. And, and everybody in the motel, they was like, man, why don't you go do something with those kids? And I went out and I said, y'all stop it. And I disconnected the horn and I went back in. And I'm setting up, I'm drinking again. They came and knocked on the door. Is my Uncle Alonso had been there? And they said, man, you need to do something with those kids. I left out of there, right? And I took them back home and I left them. And back to the uh, motel that I went. And I was sitting back and then all of a sudden, a day went by and I looked out and I saw the car take off. And when I saw the car take off and I took off Laura and I said, you know what? It's time for me to go back to the house. And I walked up in that house, Stephen. And this time I couldn't do what I always do. I walked up in that house and both sisters were standing right there. And what they told me, they said, you know what? 
They said, we want you out of our house, out of our life. Don't tell nobody that you are my brother. If you're on the same side of the sidewalk, cross over. And I looked at them. I said, you know what? You guys are wrong for doing me like this. You know, I'm here all the way from Cleveland. They said, you got somewhere to go. Go back to where you were. And I need to let you ladies know when I was on my way out, my little niece was standing at the door. She said, mommy, why y'all doing Uncle Alonzo like that? And, they, and my sister said, shut up, Pooh, go to your room. And I stopped and I looked at my niece. She said, Uncle Alonzo, I got some money. And I stopped. I looked down, I looked up. I looked down and I looked up. And then I went, Pooh, how much you have? She had $3. And I need to let y'all know I took those $3. And I remember telling her and I said, you know what? I'm going to pay you back. But I need to let y'all know. I took those $3 and I paid a spiritual price for each one of those dollars. I, I became homeless in LA, Long Beach and Compton. I got shot in the streets. I was paying Allen. And one day I walked in this bathroom to throw water on my face and take that toilet paper like I always do. And I saw my whole life flashed around in front of me. I saw the time when I graduated from high school, drove from Cleveland all the way here. And then Bill's story, Bill said, no words could tell of the loneliness that he felt. Quicksand stretched all around him. He had met his match. Alcohol was his master. And I need to let y'all know, I, I, I broke out of that bathroom and, um, and I walked outside and I saw a phone booth. And that's something that you just don't see in Compton on, at telephone booths. And I remember saying, Father, I stretched my hand to thee for no other help I know. Help me. And that wasn't one of those prayer, God, if you help me this time, I swear I won't do it no more. But when I looked in that book, man, and I remember calling some programs. I, I remember calling one program. The name of it was Chick, five days, two day follow-up. I called that program. They said, do you have a job? I said, nope. She said, click. I called another program. They said, do you have insurance? I said, nope. She said, click. Then I called this place in Tustin, California. And when I called, I didn't get this lady a chance to say anything. I said, miss, I don't have insurance. I don't have a job. The only thing that I have is a badass habit. Y'all say y'all here to help people that I need help. She said, yeah, you do have to have insurance, but it's free to talk to one of the council. And I need to let y'all know that was March 14th, 1989. And so what happened is that uh, I talked to this council. He told me about a program. He told me about a detox in Coastal Mesa called Charlie Street. He asked me, could you get there? And I went to say no, but it just wouldn't come out. And I remember walking, and I remember this this guy sitting up at the light and I walked up to him. I said, excuse me, mister, can I get a few bucks so I can get, so I can give me something to eat? This man gave me $5. I walked in the liquor store. I walked right past the liquor. I picked up a bag of chips and a, and a, and a bottle of water and I went to eat it. The whole top of my mouth was so raw from not eating. And I took off walking and I made it to Charlie Street. When I got to Charlie Street, they had gave up the last bed. You know, and I, and I told the guy, I said, man, I've been walking for a long time and they put me on the couch right by the fish tank, I got fish today. You know, and I was sitting there and, uh, you know, and I woke up like about three in the morning. And when I woke up and I saw one of the fish, like he was talking to me. Somebody said, what did he say? He said, today is the first day of the rest of your life. You know, and I need to let y'all know, for all my friends that's in sober living homes and stuff like that, you know, I remember going through that sober living home and one of the guys said, out of 12 of us in here, only two of us are gonna make it. I remember saying a prayer to the Lord in my voice, God, please let me be one. 
And I need to let y'all know I've been that one. I started going through this work, man, like only to die. Because the book said you got to be badly mangled to want to do this. You know, and when I got here, they had told me, Alonzo, in order for you to stay sober, you need to run up and down the four five freeway, butt naked five times. I'd have been like, where can I put my clothes? That's how bad I didn't want to drink no more. You know, and the thing is that, you know, when I got ready to go through that third step, man, in that third step, it said, we beg of you to be thorough from the very start. Why? Because we deal with alcohol, cunning, powerful, and powerful. If you're not thorough, alcohol will return again. You know, when I got to going through that third step and I was able to make that list, man, and I thought I only had like probably like about three or four people. I only thought I had about four or five, my sisters and them. But when I got finished, I had almost 500 names on that list. And all those 500 names and stuff, man, when I, you know, and when I broke them down in columns and stuff like that, and based up in that fourth column, what it showed me was selfish. Oh, okay. What it showed me in that fourth column, selfish, you know, and basically looking at, at selfish, what did I want? Dishonest, what really happened? Self-seeking, what did self really want? Afraid, what was I afraid of? You know, and then I had to look up in there and I had to see, you know, the harm that I did to everyone. You know, and, and as I was sitting back then, and I remember, I remember uh, at a picnic with my sister, you know, in the first one, the one that we went to church, and we were sitting back and, you know, and all of a sudden I remember looking at her and I said, you know, Lynn, you know, I'm in this 12-step program and being in this 12-step program, I saw some harm that I did to you. And the harm that I'm very clear on, you know, I stole money, your kids' money, your rent and all that. And I said, you know what? You could have got evicted and all that. And I told her, I said, being in this 12-step program, I need to know what can I do to make wrong right? You know, and then when I said that, I shut up, Mike. I didn't say anything else. I shut up. And she sat back and she said, you know what? She said, you know, you're the talk of the town. She said, but you know what? We're just glad to have our brother back. I know it wasn't you. And then I told her, I said, you know what? I know I owe you some money. And she said, you know what? Don't even worry about it. Then I went to the other sister and I told the other sister, I said, you know, I'm in this 12-step program. And being in this 12-step program, I saw some harm that I did to you. And the harm that I am crystal clear on is that uh, I took your kids to the uh, motel where it was nothing but alcohol and drugs. And you could have lost your, your uh, kids to the system and stuff, you know. And then I told her, I said, I took your money out of the bank and all that. And I said, being in this 12-step program, I need to know what can I do to make wrong right. And she looked at me and she said, you know what? She said, man, for a minute there, you know, we were all didn't want to have anything to do with you. She said, but we are just glad to have you back. And she said, you know what? She said, um, you know, um, um, we thought that you was only making, you was only going to do that detox and then you was going to come back out and run through our life again. And she said, you know what? She said, we're just glad to have you back. And I said, I know I owe you some money. She said, yeah, and I want my money. <laughs> and then, um, the little niece, the one that uh, I took those $3 from, I need to let y'all know that my niece, she's a model now, you know, and um, and I remember she uh, needed a car to get from, uh, she lived in Laguna Niguel, and she needed a car to get back and forth from LA, I mean, from Laguna to LA, and uh, I have a lot of cars and stuff, and I gave her a car, and when my sister brought her to pick it up, and she said, my Uncle Alonzo is the bomb, you know, but the thing is that only you people in these squares know what that meant. You know, when I gave her that car and I looked at her pull off something inside just hit me, AJ. You know, and it, you know, and all of a sudden I just, you know, I, I busted a tear. And uh, she drove out and 
you know, and it was one, it was a great feeling because for once in life, I was able to give back what was freely given to me. You know, man, being in this program, this program is so awesome. And, you know, and, um, you know, I, I was kind of mad at first when they told me I had to get a 10 minute speaker because I could have used those 10 minutes. <laughs> but um, anyway, um, you know, being in this 12 step program, man, you know what my life is like today, you know, I mean, I'm overpaid today. You know, every day I get up, I can't do nothing but to thank God, you know. And, um, you know, today, you know, from the results of me calling all those programs today, I, I own my own treatment center today. You know, I started the Fountain Valley Alano Club um, 1984, you know, um, and I have a few little tours today. I got a boat down in the yard, but I'm not bragging on me. All the credit goes to God. What my God does, he take the worst of us and he bring the good out of us. And he set us in front of others. And he goes, see, this is my work. I do the same thing for you. Uh, back in 2002, my brother and I, we started a 12-step board game recovery. And it's the only one like it out here. You know, and the thing is, is that, you know, I, um, you know, back then, you know, I was still, we was in the books big time. And we're still in the book big time. You know, Today, man, I am truly, truly, I am truly, truly grateful for this program. You know, today, you know, I, you know, I'm gonna say this little joke. I, I like, you know, to the humor a little. You know, we had a little friend named Bernie, a little alcoholic addict, and him and his wife they went to the bank, and when they were sitting up in the bank, and uh, all of a sudden these robbers came in with masks on, and they said, "Okay, everybody on the floor." And then, so everybody got on the floor and they walked up to the teller. They said, okay, put it all in the bag. And so when they was loading everything up in the bag and one of the robbers got ready to walk out, one of the guys on the floor jumped up and he snatched the mask off. He shot him, bam. And when he shot him, the teller went, whoo. And then he walked up and I think he shot her too, bam. Then he looked around, he said, who else saw me? And our little friend Bernie had his head down like this and he had his hand up and the robber walked over to him. He said, what? And he kept on, he said, I'm pretty sure my wife got a good look at you. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, this program is so awesome, man. And you know, um, and I know that my time is is up, you know, but I got two things I'm gonna say before I close. You know, it is the most wonderful blessing to be relieved of the terrible curse with which I was afflicted. My health is good, and I have regained my self-respect and the respect of my colleagues, my home life is ideal and my business is as good as it can be expected in these uncertain times. I spent a great deal of time passing on what, what I learned to others who want it and need it badly. I do it for four reasons. One, because it's a sense of duty. Two, because it's a pleasure. Three, because in so doing, I am paying my debt to the man who took the time out to pass it on to me. Four, because every time I do it, I take out a little bit more insurance for myself against the possible slip. Man, I work very hard in this program today. You know, I sponsor people and, um, you know, and because they told me that I must do this, must mean absolutely necessary. I must do this or I die. You know, I tell everybody, why come to a 12-step program and don't do the 12 steps? It don't make sense. Also, I say this too. Today is the first day of the rest of your life. You ain't never, ever, ever, ever have to go back to alcohol, jail, prison, or anything no more. The only thing that they told me that I had to do was clean house and trust in God. You know, when I came to Alcoholics Anonymous, I lost the boss, which was that alcoholism. 
and the devil. Again, God is my backer. I lost a desire to drink and use. I found a solution, which was God. I lost an office with the view, that dumpster I was standing when I was homeless. I found my perspective. I lost a title, an alcoholic, a drug addict. I found my own labor. I gave up a position. I found my future. God could and would if he was so. My name is Alonzo. Thank you all for letting me share.